on rolling baby you know what time it is it's time for cranked and ranked i felt that too man yeah so everybody welcome to cranked and ranked uh party people and the place to be um, this is uh, chocolate starfish. Hey, this is gonna, this is for everybody. Get ready for a fun one because this is this is gonna be fun. Um, so yes, welcome to Cranked and Ranked. If you're new, if you happen to be new, Cranked and Ranked is a podcast where me and my friend Eddie Sparks we rank band discographies and other uh, rock and metal and sometimes other music related. Uh, lists of whatever it's just, it's basically a big discussion about whatever it is we decide that we're going to talk about and today we have decided um to uh break down and rank the the full discography i guess minus like a remix album and like greatest hits kind of albums um of yeah. uh the uh the what, what what would you what would you call it what is it what is a band that some people really love and some people really hate. What's the good? What's the word for that? So I, I, the only thing I can think of is like con- controversial or like uh, what, what's what's another word for? I, I'm thinking of one too. Uh, polarizing. Yes, thank you. So see, that's why you're here because <laughs> you're the guy that like actually has the brains going on, and so um, the polarizing new metal. Uh, band Limp Biscuit, and um, I'm just going to get this out of the way, so those of you that want to turn this podcast off, you can go ahead and do it now. Um, I'm actually a big Limp Biscuit fan, so this, is, this isn't this is going to be a bunch of shit talking about how awful they are, so you can... You f- feel free to go along and go your go. We'll go our separate ways at this point. <laughs> um, that's not that's not to say that there's not going to be some fun poking going on and some and some uh, oh, some ball busting, sure. as they say, because, you know, with a band like Limbiscuit, there are there's a lot of ways to poke fun at them. And um, and but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, as usual, I got to introduce ourselves. I am uh, Stephen, a.k.a. Old Head. And with me, as always, Mr. Eddie Sparks. Hello, sir. Sup? <laughs> this, this is going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to it. That's an appropriate introduction. Sup? Um, <laughs> so yeah, so the way that we normally start these uh, episodes is we both talk about where we came on board with the band. Um, so since, you know, Eddie and I are 20 years apart in age, um, I was born in the late 70s and he was born in the late 90s when this music was coming about when Limp Biscuit was coming about. But, yeah. um, so I was, you know, a, an adult when Limp Biscuit came about basically. And, um, the, I don't remember if I saw, cause I think they did videos for like counterfeit and sour, but the, but my first memory, like most people is seeing the video for faith, the George Michael cover. And, yeah. Honestly, at that time, so that would have been 1997, 
I think, or maybe 98 when that video came out. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But I just know that at that point, that wasn't doing it for me. Um, I, I liked some stuff that like Corn were doing, and I still liked Rage Against the Machine, but for the most part, this this new it wasn't called new metal at the time. I think people were referring to it as rap metal, um, which I guess they still do. Um, it didn't really do it for me. Uh, and um yeah. and so I didn't really give them much attention until, of course, like a lot of people when Significant Other came out in 99. And even then, it was a thing that you could easily describe it as a guilty pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're one of the guilty pleasure bands yeah, like, they, that come up. They, they've, since, yeah. they've since worked their way into not being a guilty pleasure for me and just a pleasure. But I can safely say in 1999, um, when I, because I, I remember buying the album, but I didn't buy it new because I was all like, do I like this or do I not like this? And then I remember being really stoned and being at a used CD store <laughs> and I found a used copy of Significant Other. I'm like, I'm going to fucking get this. And of course, like I enjoyed it. <laughs> and and I also bought Chocolate Starfish when it came out and enjoyed that one as well. Uh, but, you know, soon after that, like I got kind of annoyed and maybe it was the oversaturation of Limp Biscuit in the world of MTV because I did, even at that point, I still did watch a good amount of MTV just because I just yeah. liked, I liked hearing about and seeing music and knowing what was popular at the time. I still am a little bit there now, but not n- nearly as much. But the mm. the real story with Limp Biscuit and me, I actually did a podcast episode back when I was just doing the Old Head podcast, and the podcast episode was called "I Have No Problem with Dot Dot Dot," and it was me talking about things that people usually talk shit about, and me saying. I don't have any problem with this. And the first one I did was Limp Biscuit because around that time, so this is like three, two and a half years ago or something like that. Around yeah. that time, I found myself going back constantly to listen to Limp Biscuit. And I'm just like, this isn't even ironic. Like I just put it on <laughs> and it's and it's utterly enjoyable to me. And ever since then, it's just built and built and built to the point where, you know, now I would I'd put them up there with some of my favorite bands. And um, so that's that's my story. So for you, even though you you were alive when Limp Bizkit was at their prime, you probably didn't hear them when you were like two or three years old or whatever. So I'm I'm assuming you got into them you know, as a teen or or an older kid. Well, it's it's funny. I've got kind of a a funny story about uh, how I came about it, but it just to quickly build off of like uh, when I was like very little when this was happening. Yeah. I can remember and there's home video footage of me somewhere. We've got it. It's on like VHS tapes. And it's just me as like a three or four year old kid uh jumping around my uncle's room while he's like blasting Power Man five thousand or something. <laughs> and it's like so uh, like not that i was really aware of what it was but like it just show it it shows me that there's just a primal instinct to move to this fucking music yeah that's, like, that's for sure if if there's one thing new metal has it's danceability it has that bounce to it and um yeah a few like fast forward about 10 years and i'm 11 years old 
I've just got Guitar Hero and I'm just getting into metal. And the thing is, before I got into metal, I was a huge Eminem fan. Like, okay, massive. Yeah. yeah. Fucking idol. I had a massive poster of him on my wall. And then, um, essentially, I remember listening to Metallica and thinking, whoa, someone should rap over this. And I was like, <laughs> I, I thought at the time, I thought at the time I'd come up with a totally original concept because, it, you know, I was a complete newbie to you know, rock and metal. As little, a little did you know that Ja Rule already did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he rapped over Metallica. Oh, yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing I remember thinking. Uh, I heard Limp Biscuit, and I was like, A, really glad that it did exist, yeah. but B, very disheartened that I wasn't the person to invent it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, literally, ne- neither were they. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's true. <laughs> So, uh, and yeah, it, it, that's interesting. And so, and so, and so initially you liked it, like you were into it. Yeah. Like th- this was before I, you know, when I first started getting into metal, I didn't know about any of like the gatekeeping or elitism that kind of yeah. came about a year into me being into it when I became aware of what people would say online and sort of things yeah. like that. And, and not, not that it ever greatly swayed my opinion. Yeah. But I, I do remember thinking, oh, am I breaking the rules of being a thrash fan or something? I, like, at the time, I was I was 12. Yeah, so yeah. So you got that kid mindset of, am I doing it right? Am I part of the team? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, looking back, yeah, you like what you like. You shouldn't have to pretend to be something you're not. Yeah. yeah. To, to, get, to, get, to put it into perspective for me, when, when Significant Other came out, the... In 1999, the album that I was looking forward to more than anything was the new Radiohead album. Like that's where I was musically. Wow. Like I was, I was, I was, I was way removed from that music, mostly just because of, you know, the, the, the group of friends that I rolled with and everything. But, um, but it is interesting though, because you, you are talking about like the gatekeeping and stuff like that when it comes to bands like Limp Biscuit, but something I noticed, and it, this may be just from what from my experience, but over in England, it doesn't seem like there's quite as much hatred for Limp Biscuit because I remember there was a there was a Metal Hammer podcast that happened for a while, um, yeah. which was, and I started listening to it a lot because it was really interesting to hear these young British guys talk about not only like British music that I didn't know about, but also they would talk about, you know, just metal in general and their attitude towards groups like Limp Bizkit was like, fuck yeah, we're going to see Limp Bizkit. And I'm like, well, that's really refreshing to hear because over here, like, you know, we'll, we'll get to it eventually. But once, once Woodstock 99 had happened, the, the bandwagon jumping of hating Limp Bizkit and Fred Durst started and pretty much never ended in America anyway. And it's still going today, um, but you know what? what the, the best way to really pull apart um, who this band is and why we, you know, like them, or especially why I connect with them so much, is to just dig into their discography. And so let's just start ranking. We're doing all of their full-length studio albums, but we're also including in our ranking the uh, Unquestionable Truth Part One, which was an EP they did in two thousand five. So we're ranking all of these. Um, and as usual, the discussion is what's more important, not really where the ranking goes. Although I don't think anyone's going to be that 
pissed off about where we place Limp Biscuit albums. But uh, yeah. just in case you are a really huge fan, um, you know, be, feel free to comment along down below and what you what you what you think about our ranking. But as usual, I throw it over to Eddie Sparks to start us off, and so that'll be so it's at six al- six total we're talking about. So um, yeah. what would your number six Limp Biscuit release be? Now it's it it's always a shame for me when the latest record is my bottom pick. Yeah, because I like to feel with with a band that's been around for a while that they've it, my number six is Gold Cobra by the way. Okay, um, but it it's always kind of disheartening to me when like a band's latest album is the lowest in my list, uh, and latest being ten years ago because this came out in twenty eleven. Yeah. Uh, t- ten, and, 10 years and they've had an album that was supposed to have been happening for many many years yeah called stampede of the disco elephants and they even released singles that i think were intended to be on that particular album and now i think that yeah. album has been pretty much scrapped and they have an entirely different one but um but yeah this is their last actual album yeah um I actually, I, I've got a, fu- a fun story in a minute when we get to Gold Cobra. Okay. Um, where I saw the video for Gold Cobra five times in a single day, <laughs> totally by accident. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's let's get in. Let's get into the tracks. Um, Do so, it. So, Introbra, which is a fucking hilarious <laughs> title to to call the intro, because every Limp Biscuit album has an intro to some degree. Yeah. And Introbra, I mean, what else were they going to call it? <laughs> like, but I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a kind of like gnarly, spooky opener. Uh, and then Bring It Back does what it says. It kind of takes the classic Limp Biscuit sound to a more modern, early 2010s feel. Um, and so we come to Gold Cobra, the title track. Uh, mm-hmm. So me and my cousin... Um, me and my cousin used to hang out a lot after school when we had like nothing else going on and we would either play Call of Duty or GTA at one end of the living room on a small TV with all my games consoles hooked up to it. Uh, but like the main big living room TV was at the other end with the sofas facing it. Mm-hmm. And um, while we were playing those games, we would have... Uh, the either the Kerrang channel or Scuzz, which were the two main rock video channels in the UK at the time. I don't know if they're both still around. I think Scuzz shut down sadly, but um, yeah. Around the release of this album, we saw this video <laughs> play <laughs> about f- five times over like a, a six-hour hangout sesh at my house. And it was just so funny to us that every time we would turn around, it's like we started joking in the end. We said, hey, is Limp Biscuit on again? <laughs> yeah, they're still there. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think that's uh, good that they were even being played on television. I don't think that video was played anywhere besides YouTube or the Internet over here. I mean, we didn't really wow. have. I mean, I mean, I don't know if there's a music video channel, especially in 2011, that played anything that, that was that was like that. It seemed like those at that point that had all gone away except for like the VH1 top 20 countdown on the weekends, which just basically had, you know, <laughs> whatever the new, the new train song followed by the new matchbox 20 or whatever, you know, bands yeah. like that, they weren't <laughs> playing Limp Bizkit. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I, I think that the problem 
that happened with uh, Kerrang! and later Scuzz was the fact that they started out as a big variety of, um, like, you know, it, you would have your thrash metal hour, you would have your fucking new metal hour, you'd have your pop punk hour, you'd have your alternative hour. Yeah. You would have all these things like 80s versus 90s and then 2000s versus 2010s, all, the, all sorts of things. And then it just became a 24-hour loop of pop punk and new metal. And the thing is, it lost its variety with yeah. that. It it wasn't the fact they were playing that stuff that annoyed me. It was the fact that that was all they were playing now. Yeah. And that's what upset upset me because I was like, oh, what happened? What happened to Groove Metal Titans? What happened to Grunge Time? Or or, you know, even throwback Thursday or whatever it was in the end. But yeah, it, just cycling back to no. to this one <laughs> to gold yeah. cobra <laughs> yeah to gold cobra i mean it's it's an all right track um it's catchy um i don't i don't feel like the chorus really elevates though like there's not really a pre-chorus it just goes i don't give a fuck about none of y'all people think yeah and then just goes straight into it there's not really a tension and release there i feel yeah but, it's uh, more it's more of a of a a mild groover like it doesn't really yeah. it's not necessarily heavy i i like that song but yeah it, when it comes to what you would expect from limb biscuit it doesn't have the punch that some of their stuff even some stuff on this album has yeah, I think that that's an overarching problem with this album for me personally is the fact that it feels like a return, but they didn't get all the way there. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's stuck in limbo between do I want to be bombastic, fantastic Limp Biscuit, or do I want to be introspective, singy, vibey Limp Biscuit? And it kind of just like sh sheepishly kind of goes into the middle zone and sways ever so slightly at each one but never quite goes all out so i think that's a big problem with me for I, this i just album. i just like the video because west borland has the the completely white outfit and then the completely yeah. black outfit and then it, at some point he's dressed as indiana jones <laughs> and i'm just yeah. like all right cool i mean what then we'll talk we'll talk about him a lot but west borland is one of those people that not only do i like him as a guitar player but i i, I feel like i just want to go hang with the dude because he seems yeah weird in a very likable way <laughs> it's the best way i can put it for sure the dude's a, dude's a total character as well yeah and i think it's so cool that like all the other guys in the band are just like dressed normal like yeah. they could just be walking down the street and then all of a sudden you've got this like fucking character from a scrapped episode of doctor who over here you know <laughs> do you know you, the, the, you know what's funny about that is that um I, I was i was gonna talk about this at some point but i'll go ahead and do it now um so over here uh la yesterday Limp Biscuit played Lollapalooza. Um, yeah. Which was a big deal because, like, you look at the lineup for Lollapalooza and you're like, why are they on there? But at the same time, <laughs> I'm all like, fuck yeah. Like, I'm so happy that they got to do that. And, I, and, <laughs> and they streamed, you know, all of the stuff from Lollapalooza. I think they're still doing it. I think it's still going today when we're recording this. But um, I watched the Limp Biscuit set and Fred Durst now has. He's grown out his hair a little bit and it's all gray and he has a beard yeah. 
like kind of like yours minus the goatee part where it's just the handlebar. Yeah. And it's all yeah, white. I've seen it. And he was wearing almost like an old, like a members only jacket and some tan slacks. Had totally like <laughs> old guy looking shit. And so it's so funny that West Borland is still in some sort of really weird outfit, yeah. but everyone is just talking about what Fred Durst looks like. Like Fred Durst <laughs> looks crazy. And I'm all like, and Wes is just like, why the fuck do I even bother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy just dresses like old, old man Durst, old man Durst up the street. He should see um, see if if Fred continues that look, then Wes Borland should dress like Fred Durst from the night from the nineties <laughs> and just come out one day. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I'd I'd pay good money to see that. But happen. To, yeah. si- side note, their their set was really fucking good. I so, bet because so, they're insane live. So much yeah. so though, not not just the 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 way the songs were presented, but Fred Durst's demeanor on stage. He's not the Fred Durst that you once knew, where he just flick, flips everybody off and he's just like, you know, yeah. he's, he's, he seems like he's an angry dude. He, he was really like, he seemed genuinely thankful that they were there. And I feel yeah. just like seeing the crowd and everything, I'm all like, they're getting a really good reception you know, during this performance. And I'm like, this makes me feel good because maybe this is the beginning of the of the end of all of the hatred. If people can actually look at this band and go, you know... They actually put on a good show, and they actually seem cool. So maybe, maybe we should stop with all the the venom and the hatred. Um, here's here's my thing. When when like I would think to myself, I had I had times where I thought to myself, kind of arrogantly, "Am I above Limp Biscuit?" And uh, then I'd remember that my favorite genre at the time was hair metal, which, besides the guitar solos, is also just about fucking fun yeah and and really vibe wise a lot of the new metal bands obviously they they had darker subject matter every now and again but like yeah especially limp biscuit it just had a fun party vibe you know honestly some of the darker subject matter is what turned me off and still does turn me off to a lot of new metal because some bands i think pull it off really well like corn we you know obviously corn was at the beginning of everything but other bands it seems so forced you know, yeah. just like now here's a song about how my parents got divorced. I mean, and, and like, like every album has a song about that now. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> and so but the, the, the funny thing that I thought about, because last night while I was watching the show, the Limbiscuit performance, I was like, you know, um, if, if Eddie lived here, we'd probably go to see this. But I realized yeah. I realized that you would have not been anywhere near it because 15 minutes after Limp Biscuit started, Megan the Stallion was playing at a completely different stage, and so I'm like, <laughs> I bet you Eddie would fuck off and go see Megan the Stallion. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be there like, I mean, I'll catch hot dog, but I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go drool at my celebrity crush for the next hour yeah and that, be prepared for your crush to get bigger because she was wearing like a, a some sort of a leotard type thing made out of metal and rock t-shirts oh i've i think i saw it yeah, yeah. so it's <sighs> pretty cool but anyway back to limp biscuit but yeah they were they were really good if she were a president she'd be babraham lincoln <laughs> <laughs> always got to get that wayne's world reference somewhere in the video oh um, for sure. <laughs> but back to sorry, that was a big that was a big there's gonna be a few of those um asides that are gonna be happening just because there's a lot to talk about with Limp Biscuit that is actually even outside of the music. But we now we rein ourselves back in and we 
we didn't even get past track three of Gold Cobra, <laughs> so let's let's keep going. Right on. Um, so, Shark Attack is the sound I always envision when I think of what new metal bands did after new metal got popular. So it's just kind of the standard post new metal new metal sound. Yeah. Okay. To me. Um, Get a life. This album somehow, like I said, it sounds both harkening back to their glory days while also feeling like weirdly removed from it at the same time. Yeah. And I think it could just be age or maturity that did it because Fred Durst's voice and delivery sounds both like him and like a parallel universe him as well. He, he got, he got way is. more yeah. relaxed with how he did stuff. Because it seems yeah. like before he's either you know not in not in not in a lot of it, but early on especially he would do a lot. He would try to do screamy stuff, but then when yeah. he rapped, it almost feels like he tried a little. He, he was really trying to get into the rapping part, and now it feels like he found this. He found this middle Fred Durst ground, where it's yeah, and that's that's all over Gold Cobra, for sure. Um, Shotgun is my favorite on the album so mm-hmm. far. Yeah. It, it even has a guitar solo. Like West Borland, there's some West Borland lead playing on here. Those are my favorite things. Um, that whenever West pulls out a solo, because a lot, I think, I guess people don't really talk shit about him anymore. But people used to say like, he's not a very good guitar player, and I'm all like, ah, you, <laughs> he, he really is. He just he chooses to yeah. do these other kinds of things like play a guitar that only has two strings on it or whatever you know so but you know he doesn't always do that yeah we've got um douchebag now the the tom morello influence in the riffage is obvious and the chorus is dumb as fuck but you can't see it you can't say it ain't fun yeah that's the thing it it's fun they they're not really a, a a deep band but neither was any of hair metal so yeah i can't really speak um sometimes you that. gotta judge music on what it is that's why like it, it, that i think yeah. that's why the the shit talking about limp biscuit gets on my nerves because usually if you see somebody posts a snarky remark about limp biscuit and you go and look at their page they not only don't listen to anything that sounds like limp biscuit they usually don't even listen to rock music so it's just yeah. like it's just like me busting into like a sports party and be like the the Cowboys suck and I and I don't I don't <laughs> fuck all about sports like why would I <laughs> like why would I even fucking do that it's just it's just it's it, it's one of those things I feel like some people there's that there's that sort of entry level opinions that you feel like you're supposed to have and you present yeah. them to let people know I know what I'm talking about actually so I'm going to make a snarky comment <laughs> about Limp Biscuit now and put my monocle on. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so anyway, but I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> I feel I'm very, uh, I'm very, I'm very, the, the spirit of the, of the biscuit is inside of me today, folks. <laughs> um, oh, where, where was I? Oh, we got, uh, walking away mm-hmm. is our first ballad ish one. It's got a big spacey vibe. Uh, loser also kind of does that. Um, now, auto-tunage, yeah. <laughs> I will say the blatant piss-off metal fans attitude on this one is funny, but it's also pretty, like, here's the thing. I love the little rant leading up to it where he's just fucking around with the auto-tune. He's yeah. like, this is crazy. <laughs> we got to do this over some heavy metal. And I was like, okay, where is this going? And I was like, 
it does sound bad, but it's it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, then you get nine oh two one oh. This album, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> doesn't quite have the same bombast as their earlier works. Um, why try? This song does pretty well though, and then Killer and You closes it out. All in all, it's it's the only album that I listened to where there were parts I felt bored. Mm-hmm. The rest of the albums up were at least sonically interesting to me, whereas this one felt like it was it was too much of everything in the middle rather than veering to one extreme or the other. And that's what kind of... That's what I like about the Limp Biscuit albums as you go further up my list is that they tend to jump from one extreme to the other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so, I, I um, get what you're saying there. So um, I'm, I'm not continuing off of you there uh, because I, I, I like that. I like Gold Crow. I like all of their albums. Um, but yeah. I have to say that the one that I have at number six, if there, if I could argue that there is a, a Limp Biscuit album where there are moments where I go, nah, nah. Um, this is the <laughs> only, this is literally the only one that has moments like that. Um, my number six is results may vary from 2003, ah. which is, um, it's kind of a weird album because it's the one that they made after West Borland left the band for a few years. And yeah. The songwriting was done with Mike Smith from Snot, but then they kicked him out of the band and just had random other people playing on the songs. And I don't I don't even know who plays on it. Like I don't have a copy of that album to look and see who played guitar on what, and I couldn't find any information online. The wiki doesn't even really have who played, but um I've heard it was different guitar players. But Wow, really? Yeah. So the the problem with this album, I think, is that you can clearly see how much of an asset Wes Borland was to the band because the riffs, while some of them are cool, most of them are kind of lacking, and I kind of wish that they were better. And that ends up becoming a theme with even the songs. Like, I wish the songs, some of them have potential and then don't really deliver on the potential. Um hmm. So it's and also when you're following their first three albums, the fact that this one is like probably the least fun out of anything that they put out, I think, just because it feels like the vibe of the album is that like like the first three albums, not necessarily the first one, but the second and third album, they all seem like they were you you were being you were hanging out with a party guy. And now when results may vary, it's like the party guy got dumped by his girlfriend and he's in a really bad mood. And (laughs) then he wrote an album. And um, it also is interesting because if you listen to the album all the way through, there's a a bigger emphasis on singing in this album. Mm. Um, There's a little bit of rapping and a little bit of like, I guess, yelling and screaming, but it's, it's way more him trying to to sing, which is fine. Cause I think for the kind of stuff he tries to do, he's perfectly fine at doing it. He's not an amazing vocalist at all, but he, you know, he holds his own and he does his thing. But, um, the, the one plus I have to give this album is that I do feel like it's the most ambitious Limp Biscuit album that there is because there's so many, there's a lot of different styles of songs on here. Yeah. Which 
is a plus and a minus for the album because like like a lot of the songs like I like the fact that it's ambitious but the songs themselves aren't really good enough to really make it work um and then and the energy is just kind of uh I don't know it's kind of lacking but the the best thing that I could say the last time I listened to this album all the way through in preparing for this episode was that I thought to myself out of all their albums this one seems the most overthought like yeah, they seem like they make music that it works the best when they just are going with the flow. I mean, like this is what's coming out of us. Let's fucking do this. We have this idea. Do it now. But I think these. I feel like these are songs that were just they spent too much time because um, obviously this was an album that was recorded at many different recording sessions with a few different producers, and I just think that there was way too much like overthinking and and maybe it. Maybe it was because Wes was gone and Fred was a little bit nervous about, you know, proving that the the band could still go on with with whatever incarnation they would have. But um, it ends up dragging for me and it does have its moments, but it doesn't have enough moments. Um, I will I will say for a moment, I, I will have to to point out, is this the worst album cover ever? Cause it is really bad. Cause it even see like, the, the thing that I was saying, the party guy gets dumped <laughs> yeah. and now he's mad. That's what the picture looks like. Like he's yeah. like Fred Durst. I'm just tired of stuff. Take a picture of me now. And that's the, <laughs> that's the album cover. And it just, it doesn't look cool or interesting or I don't know. It actually, it actually looks, you know how I was, uh, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast. I think there was this, this, this was a separate conversation we had, but it actually looks like one of those photos you take with the old nineties Game Boy camera. Like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. the same, it's the same colors and the same, it literally looks like he's trapped in my Game Boy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of funny. It's it's <laughs> it's up there with the album cover for the album Suicidal for Life by Suicidal Tendencies, where it's just Mike Muir in a hallway looking like somebody yeah. caught him doing something. He's like, What? Why are you looking at me? And that's the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, that's weird. But um it but yeah. it, it, it even drives home the fact even more because I remember when this album came out, you get you got the vibe that it was now the Fred Durst show and not Limp Biscuit and this album cover just yeah. brought that vibe along with it. Um, and also just the fact that the songs aren't very strong, it really does at times seem like some of the songs could be any number of different bands that they just happen to have Fred Durst guest vocal on. Cause it's, it doesn't have a cohesive sound or, or idea. And you know, like I said, it's just not very fun. I will have to give some props though. And I'll, I, I'll probably say this a lot. Um, Sam Rivers and John Otto are an amazing, uh, rhythm section. Yeah. I don't think Sam Rivers gets enough, enough props for his bass playing, like how good and how many interesting things he puts in. I don't think any bass players get credit for their bass playing. (laughs) Some do, but they're always bass players that like maybe do a bass solo. I don't know if, if, uh, if Sam Rivers ever did a bass solo, but you just listen to the stuff he plays and he's got so much, so many little noodly parts and you, yeah. and you won't even notice it. Like the first time you listen to it and you're just like, he plays some really cool shit on most of their songs. 
It's especially in like the quiet bits that you really hear him come up the fretboard and he's doing the, those higher, like you said, yeah. those boo-doo-doo. Yeah, I mean, really, the only time that you would really notice that is at the beginning of Rearranged because it starts with that boo-doo-doo. Yeah. And so you get a little taste of what he does, but he does that shit all the time. And same thing with John Otto. John Otto is is a he's like one of those hold down the groove drummers that, that he just seems like he's in the fucking pocket all the time. Yeah. And he's not with the band right now and I don't know why. They mm. the the Lollapalooza performance had this guy that has played drums in several different bands like he subbed in Suicidal Tendencies, he played with the with the band Horror. Um I'm not sure who else he played with, but I know that he's played I think he even played with with uh Doyle, like from the Misfits, I think he was his drummer or something. But um, I don't know why John Otto's not there, but he's missed. And there's been no statement saying that John's sick or can't make it or we don't like him anymore. There hasn't been any, I haven't seen anything that said that. Anyway, but yeah, I'm giving props to that rhythm section because even on this album, I'm still, I'm still like, yeah, that part of the album sounds fucking great. Um, yeah, for sure. And then the the elephant in the room for me on this album is Behind Blue Eyes. Um, completely yeah. unnecessary cover. Probably the only Limp Biscuit song that I will always skip. Like, I just can't, wow. I can't stand that version of the song. I think it's awful. And I just, I don't know why. I already don't really like that song anyway. And so, <laughs> you know, somebody else does a version of it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not on board. But, um... So really, like this album to me fails and comes in sixth in sixth place because I really think that there's two different types of ambitious Limp Biscuit. We'll get to later talking about the ambitious Limp Biscuit that I think comes from feeling very confident, and then results may vary is like the ambition that comes with being completely lost. And just trying whatever you can to try to put something out that's good, and yeah. um, and so it just it just falls short for me every time. It's the one out of all of their stuff that I've listened to the least, and um, it hasn't grown on me at all. Um, little songs here and there have, but for the most part, um, it just feels like it's one of those albums that I'm like, you know, if, if as a completist, eventually I'd like to have it on vinyl, but it's one of those ones I'm like, that'll be last. That'll be way down the yeah. line. So that's my number six. The uh, results may vary, and I, there there was a review of that album that said, "No, the results don't don't vary at all. They're consistently bad." <laughs> <laughs> there has been a oh. whole lot of really funny reviews of their albums. Where like if like if I was in a band like theirs, I would be I would probably have killed myself by now because I just yeah. I guess I'm so. I'm so sensitive about a lot of stuff that if I was somebody that was constantly being talked shit about, I don't know what I, I, something bad would have happened. I would have, I would have gone insane in some way or another. So, but I almost feel like I feel (laughs) almost feel like Limp Bizkit is a band that gets fueled by people being shitty to them. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's the thing that like, it's, it's always just one more person to drop a diss track on, I suppose. Yeah. That's the way you look at it. Yeah. One more, one more target for the old practice. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go ahead and talk shit. <laughs> talk shit about me. <laughs> I'm, I'm addicted to doing the, the, the fucking Fred Durst voice. I like came downstairs the other day and said to my mom, I'm going to make some fucking cereal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where's the milk? <laughs> fucking cereal. Fuck. Yeah. 
You got so, you, so you to give him some credit. He has a signature sound, the the Fred yeah. Durst sound. How many people can say that? And it takes serious fucking balls to say this sentence. Oh, shit. Chocolate starfish <laughs> and the hot dog flavored water. <laughs> like, oh, it, I think it goes to show you that they were not a band that took themselves completely seriously. Because if if they were, that wouldn't one of one first that wouldn't be the name of an album. But we're not there yet. Let's let's we'll get to Chocolate Starfish at some point. But who knows where we're going now? Because we got to get to Eddie's number five. Okay, so I don't dislike results may vary as much as you, uh, but my number five is. The Unquestionable Truth, part one. Nice. So this album is technically an EP, yep. but it's longer than Rain and Blood, so we included <laughs> it anyway. <laughs> That's true, it is. <laughs> so yeah, like of all the albums so far, the production on this record feels kind of squashed and compressed mm-hmm. to their earlier albums, like which is unfortunate because like, it affects that bounce that Limp Biscuit nails so well on albums like Significant Other and, and whatnot. Like, there's a real lift when stuff kicks off. Yeah. Whereas here, like, if everything is at max all the time, you appreciate the really good bits way less. Like, if there's no dynamics, it, it's less enjoyable. Yeah. But, like, there, there are qualities that I enjoy about this little project we got here. So, uh... The oh, and all of the song titles start with the, which is obviously a, a creative choice. But like they they went down the um route of talking about some more serious topics on this one yeah, too. Yeah, like um child abuse in the church and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the propaganda sounds like. To be honest, this is probably their most Rage Against the Machine sounding album. The, yeah, because there is a lot of influence. Even his, from even them Fred Durst's delivery, where he does that thing where the the chorus is him saying a phrase over and over again, and not there's yeah. no there's no singing. That's the thing is that this album has very little singing. It, it, mm. it just just like with Gold Cobra, he he has like a a, a sound he's kind of going for, and he pretty much sticks to it for the majority of the EP, but. I definitely do get Rage Against the Machine vibes from this EP. It's almost like this album is a complete 180 response to the previous one because this one goes right back down the route of really fucking heavy because this has probably some of their most straight-up metal riffs Mm -hmm. because there are moments on here where I thought, oh, shit, fuck. This is more like groove metal territory. Mm -hmm. Um the truth, like I said, has one of the heaviest chug riffs they've ever recorded, uh, but keeps that Rage Against the Machine influence going. And, that, and, then, and that's that uh, thing where he, he the, the chorus is just him saying, imagine accepting the truth. And that's all he says. Yeah. It reminds me of like what Zach De La Roca would do in, on certain songs. For sure, man. Like the priest, it just keeps it going. It actually feels removed from the Limp Biscuit canon, like stylistically and thematically, yeah. it's way different. Like, I know I said Gold Cobra feels a bit removed. This is way out there for Limp Biscuit, but in a good way. You yeah. know, it's... If it had better production, it could be higher on my list, but um, 
you know, the key is a short rap metal interlude. Uh, the channel is a cool song. Uh, the story has some crazy heavy groove riffage and uh, the surrender closes it out on a vibey one. But this is a cool, this is a cool half hour. Yeah. This is, uh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> interesting that you talk about the production on this because it was produced by Ross Robinson who did their yeah. first album and did all these classic new metal albums. But I have to say something about Ross Robinson because I was never the biggest fan of his production style, but mm. something happened where he did all of these albums all around the late nineties, early two thousands that had a pretty damn good sound, like his signature sound. And then all of a sudden you started seeing new albums coming out produced by Ross Robinson's probably around 2005 or a little later where the sound is awful. And I don't yes. know who approved of it. Now, this one t- doesn't bother me that much, but it definitely doesn't have the signature sound that just that you just want to bump in your fucking car. It, it, yeah. But it, I, I like that it's a little bit stripped back. This is also my number five, The Unquestionable Truth, uh-huh. part one. So the big thing with this one for me is the fact that Wes Borland is back. And yeah. he there are a lot of cool riffs on here. But this is also one where now we have, instead of... Having Wes Borland be absent, uh, John Otto is, I think, only on one track on this album. Um, the drummer's uh, name is Sammy Siegler, and I don't think I don't know if he was in anything of major note, but um, he did fine on this. But um, it is a more serious Limp Biscuit. But the thing that always strikes me about this album is when he really wants to, like Fred Durst can write some really good lyrics. Like there are some yeah. <laughs> legit, really good lyrics on this EP, and and his delivery, because he's not he doesn't do like your the Fred Durst impression. He's not rapping like that on this album. It's very straightforward, yeah. and the fact that the songs, all of them except for the last one, all have a similar vibe. It almost feels like this was a cohesive kind of statement from the band, like. Here's where we are. We're just making because I, I I like the that's why I like it because it is I, I have it at number five because when I go to Limp Biscuit I don't go to this album, but anytime yeah. I hear it I'm all like this is a fucking banger like all like most of these songs I would call full on bangers, um and really it's interesting because it is the heaviest thing they did since three dollar bill y'all, um yeah, but I just like it because it's an interesting take on their on their sound. And, um, and I do like the fact that the, that West Borland's riffs on this are more metal and darker, but he's still, they still give you the get the fuck up moments in the songs. Like yeah. You're still going to get those. Like, that's the thing is that the day that Limp Biscuit puts out an album where there is no get the fuck up moment, that's when I check out. I'm just going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm all about <laughs> bands doing things differently, but I'm coming to Limp Biscuit because I want to get the fuck up. Is there something so wrong with that? <laughs> um, but yeah, this has a lot of great moments and a lot of great energy, and it's probably the most interesting Limp Biscuit release out of anything they did. Um, and, all, and honestly, the, the question is always out there of like, what happened to part two? Like... This is cool. Yeah. Is this one of those things where they jokingly call it part one and there's not supposed to be a part two <laughs> or did they scrap part two? I think I read that they had worked on it or had songs for it, but it never ended up happening, which seems like the later, yeah. the later half of the Limp Biscuit story has a lot of those moments where it's like, we have songs. Nah, never mind. We don't have any songs. <laughs> and so, <Yeah. laughs> but, um, 
I'm honestly like, I don't, I think if they had done a full, you know, cause a lot of their albums are like an hour long. If they had oh, done an yeah, hour long sure. album of this, I don't think I would like it as much. I like the fact that it's more of a tighter, you know, longer than yeah. rain and blood, but you know, still, still <laughs> considered an EP, but yeah, that's really all I got to say about that one because it doesn't make me as excited as the, the next albums we'll be getting to. So that's, you know, my number five is also the unquestionable truth. Part one. Cool. So, uh, this is probably my most, actually, no, it's, it's, it's one of two controversial placings. Oh shit. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? So, so <laughs> my, my number four pick is $3 bill y'all. Okay. All right. So, Okay. Okay. Good. That's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, intro on this one. A preacher introduces the album, inviting you to kill the pollution, mm-hmm. and then shit kicks off with the song "Pollution." And right out of the gate, the riff is fucking awesome. But I have a big problem with the production of this album. So that's also that's, that's Ross Robinson right there. Here's my thing. The vocals feel too high in the mix compared to what's meant to make new metal bounce. Yeah. Like, I want to hear that riff just yeah. like that kind of thing. It's absolutely explode. But every time Fred comes in with a scream, I'm like, ah, ah I'm going to turn it back <laughs> down again. Because, like, the thing is, it would sound so much better if it was just mixed ever so slightly i mean i could probably i could probably eq it myself i mean that's just me being a lazy music listener right now but i think (laughs) for for um, it's important to point out for those that are listening that aren't fans this is we're talking about their first album from 1997 yeah this is i think as a first album it does still have a pretty good sound you know it's yeah but yeah it does i've i have issues with a lot of of the ross robinson produced stuff but usually it's not it's like the overall, you know, sound of things of those early albums is it's pretty it's pretty heavy, and I and I like that. Yeah. Also, I, I like the end where um, Fred won't shut the fuck up doing the back, back, yeah. back, back, back. Fred, Fred, shut the fuck up, back, <laughs> back. Fred, shut the fuck up, Fred. Yeah, I love that. I love that part. Yeah. Um, and then you get counterfeit, which is kind of their breakthrough song. As far as I know, it was like the first thing that they kind of popped out with. Well, they yeah, but it didn't a, really. A, it did, I, don't, I don't think it really did much for them at the time. Like later on, I think this became a song that people really dig. But um, I don't remember. Ah, okay. I don't even think I, in America. It was more anyway. faith. Yeah. Yeah, it was more faith. But counterfeit is probably my favorite song on the album. Like it's a really cool song. Yeah, like again, like I say, the riffage is groovy, but the production on the on the record feels a bit thin. That mm-hmm. said, you can really hear the Rage Against the Machine influence on this album too. Um, which is funny, it's that it could just be the fact them working with Ross Robinson <laughs> brings out this yeah. um, rage vibe. But um, yeah, stuck. Uh, Fred Durst, he feels a little shy in his voice at points on this album, but then again. There's parts where he gets like full scream shout mode over a heavy riff and kills it. But then when he goes, he goes back to like, he, he's like kind of doing a very understated delivery yeah. on his more rappy parts. 
Nobody Loves Me has some cool, tasty drum parts in it. Sour reminds me of Tool at the start. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of Tool influence in... See, that's the thing about the musicianship of this band. It's really underrated because the thing is, Limp Biscuit writes a riff. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, that's just fucking dumb butt rock Limp Biscuit new metal riffs. <laughs> if fucking Tool wrote it, yeah. it would have been like, this is fucking irrefutable proof that God is real. And it's like, <laughs> uh, am I wrong? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, you could even, yeah. point, you could even point that at Slipknot because Slipknot has done stuff that it's, that's nowhere near the caliber of songwriting that Limp Biscuit has done, but people still treat them like, Oh, it's, that's cool. New metal over here. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, not really. Cause the musicianship, if you really break it down, isn't as good. Um, but they're, yeah. but they're still a great band. I'll give them that. But like, the, there's, there's something something about the the fact that you have Fred Durst and I guess he takes the spotlight, but you got these three individual. Well, I guess four. You want to throw DJ Lethal in there with what he does, yeah. but you have these guys that are just really good at what they do and always put something interesting in each of the songs that they play. Um, and I guess yeah. that, that it's unfortunate that they don't they don't they, they don't seem to get that much credit. Also, real quick, rest in peace, Joey Jordison. Fuck. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that was... Man, we've yeah. lost a lot of fucking people recently. Yeah, it sucks. There was um, the bass player from uh, ZZ, ZZ Top, Top yeah. too. Yeah. Fuck, man. The, J- July kind of sucked, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, back to it. Um, Sour reminds me of Tool, like I said at the start, but... Mm-hmm. It does go back to the trademark Limp Biscuit sound. To their credit, they were never afraid to get weird and it catapulted them to what they would become. Yeah. Because they they one thing great about this band is they did not give a shit. They were just unapologetically them, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's why they I like them so much is because you in, in the sea of new metal of dudes taking themselves way too seriously, the they yeah. they really stand out. Like I, I would say that this is the album where I feel like they fell into that a little bit. There's some moments yeah. on this album where it's a little like suburban white dude is mad kind of stuff. <laughs> and you know, it, yeah. sometimes that gets annoying, but I think they add enough of their weird flavor that um mm. it keeps it from getting annoying to me for sure um stalemate is exactly what i think of when someone says new metal you know someone you know i've got here in in quotes here i've got someone was listening to corn yeah (laughs) wink wink um but that riff in the middle of the song is insane um clunk i bet this song would go off live you know if there's one thing as well like yeah, they can be kind of cringy sometimes, but they fucking kill it live, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Faith, this one always makes me grin from ear to ear. I'm all for a cover that transforms a sappy pop song into a ridiculous heavy metal version. Yeah, especially like, I, I especially love it that Fred Durst doesn't really give a shit about getting the lyrics right. <laughs> it's yeah. just, he, 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 like, it's, it's, he gets some of it right, but I'm just like, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. <laughs> I love the fact as well, like, um, you you initially think, like, the first time you ever hear it, you think that they're just going to go into, like, a happy-go-lucky, punky-up 
tempo version. But then all of a sudden he's like, I'm showing you that tour. Cause I got out fast. And it's like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. I remember the first time I ever heard it. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. I mean, um, and you could say that there's a novelty aspect to it, but I mean, it, it, oh, it kicked yeah. open a lot of doors for him. So, you know, I'm sure it's a song that like last night in their performance at Lollapalooza, they literally played one verse and one chorus. And then Fred's like, nah, nah. And then they went into a different song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, I also wanted to take a minute to mention uh, Stereotype Me, which is a hidden track mm-hmm. at the end of Faith uh, that I had to go out of my way to find because it's not present on certain digital versions yeah. of the album. Yeah. Um, What's well, because, if I remember right, isn't it because for CDs, you used to be able to do this thing where you could have a song in negative minutes. Yeah. And that's that's, that's a that's a thing with CDs that like is pretty cool. And that's a reason to get a CD because I remember there was... I think the it was by it was the band Sponge, I wanna say, that they had an entire little song at the beginning of their album that just played in the negative minutes leading wow. up to the first track. And I was always like, that's really cool. But I don't even know if that's a thing that you can I mean, you you would have to completely strip that out and then put it along with the track on the digital versions. But I like I like shit like that. There's a, there's a Dream Theater album called Octavarium, mm-hmm. and that whole album has this, like, there's so many cool little things that they did that tie so much of the album together into this one big body of work. Everything centers around, like, the number eight, and there are negative space tracks on in between all of the tracks, yeah. and... I think, if I remember right, the spaces in between the songs, like whatever the noise is or what frequency it is, it's like an octave. So it'll go up through the notes of a scale throughout the album or something. There's like a little blog somewhere that decoded all of the little Easter eggs that they put in this album. Yeah. And it is insane, the attention to detail. It's it's like, you see less... Um, attention put into some fucking video games these days than that album has, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's, I, I, like, um, I like that kind of shit. That, that's the only thing that makes me miss a little bit of the CD era because bands would do things like that. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a small thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh, where am I? Oh, I get, to, I get to one of my favorites. Stinker finger. <laughs> <laughs> that part made me cry laughing when I heard it. Like, <laughs> you know, that uh, it, it's got a really cool ambient guitar riff that caught me off guard. But like every time I see it in the track listing now, all I think is stinker finger. <laughs> but uh, Indigo Flow, uh, I like the guitar on this song. Mm. Leech has a sick breakdown with uh, record scratches for added measure. And how do you how do you finally, how do you feel about that? What are what are your thoughts on a DJ in a metal band overall? I am all for it. Yeah. If you're doing like the if you're doing the new metal thing, go all out on the new metal thing. You know. Yeah. Uh, it, like if if you're not that type of new metal band, say if you're like Corn, fine. 
it's up to you whether or not you have a DJ or not, but it never pissed me off because I just thought, if you're going to fuse metal with hip-hop, of course there's going to be a DJ there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, like, that's a thing that I feel like with Limp Biscuit, it's almost, it, it feels like it belongs there, whereas you had other yeah. bands around the era like, I don't know, like Incubus, where I'm just like, why is that dude even there? Cause he, cause like he does some stuff, but it, I, I've, I saw Incubus in concert one time and that dude literally would like sit down and like, cause he didn't have anything to do. <laughs> and I'm just like, why is he even there? He's got the best job in the world though. He just gets to sit behind a turntable and be like, I'm being paid for this. Yeah. It's like the, Irrit, the, the Irrit. yeah, the, it's like the intro of a song. Yeah. He does some wiki, wiki, wiki. And then he sits down cause the song starts. And so. <laughs> but with with DJ Lethal, like I noticed last night in their performance, like he does, he I mean I've seen live footage of them a lot, and he does occasionally do keys, and occasionally he has mm. these pre-programmed like, I guess you would call them drum pads, but he has samples in each of them, and so sometimes yep. he's doing that, he's just playing samples at certain parts, and then when he's not you know scratching, but um, yeah, when it comes to them, you, I, you said you said scratching as as I had an itch on my arm. A different kind of scratching, <laughs> ruining <laughs> records. Some people would say, um, but uh, but yeah, I, I don't. I, it's just a weird thing because I think some people still poke fun at the at that being a part of the new metal thing with you know having DJs. But to be completely yeah. honest, that doesn't annoy me as much as fifty thousand people showing up to just watch a dj <laughs> like that that's the thing where i'm just like this is when the old man in me kicks in and i'm just like these people hey these, these people aren't even doing any record scratching they have computer laptops set up and that's why you all every time you see a, a, a dj photograph they're playing to hundred thousand people and what is the pose they're always doing they always have their arms yeah. outstretched because they don't need to do anything with their arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll maybe stick the headphones to their head every now and oh, again. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they, they are all awful, but for the most part, like, that is something that would never make me pay money to go anywhere. <laughs> to, like, like there, there was one time that I remember I actually went out to go listen to the original DJ that played with... Uh, with LL Cool J do a set where he just played records and I paid, it was like, you know, five or $10 cover charge. And do you know what happened when I got there? I showed up and he had laptops. He didn't bring oh. turntables. <laughs> and so I was just Damn. like, wow. Is that cut creator was the name of the guy. And I loved cut creator. And I was just like, Oh great. We're going to go here. Cut creator, spend some records. This was all also in about, like 2005 maybe so i guess at that point everything was moving so into digital he's probably just like nobody gives a fuck yeah. that i'm playing records i'm just gonna bring my laptops i'm cut creator bitch and so you know <laughs> that's what he did anyway um not another divergence talking about djs but dj lethal fucking rules who he was if you didn't know the, the original dj of house of pain um wow which did jump around and Boom, shalak, lock, boom, and other songs like that. Pack it up, pack it in. Yeah. Let me begin. I like how you're doing it with an accent <laughs> when he's yeah. when dude's dude's American as fuck. <laughs> All right, where were we? Three dollar bill, y'all. Cool. Uh yeah. And then finally you get everything, which is a, a big 16-minute Phoebe journey to close out the album. Uh yeah, it's 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 a cool debut. Yeah. I think 
coming out swinging, they were certainly unique. Um, they they had their own thing going on for sure. Yeah, you could hear him. You could hear influences from all over the place, and that's good. You got Rage Against the Machine, Tool, um, obviously a little bit of Corn in there. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really cool to hear all these things come together because, like you said, they got a really good. The musicianship is understated, but it really, when it locks in, mm. damn, yeah. dude. Yeah. Well, you know what, Eddie? I, I, the reason why I'm not mad at you about your placing is because I'm also matching up with you with my number three, which is also $3 bill, y'all, hey. uh, from 1997. So I already said, like, the, you know, the, the this band came onto my radar because of the Faith video, which I didn't really think was that great at the time. And honestly, like, the this album, while I, I agree that it's a classic of the genre, um, it it doesn't really show the band being who I think they really could be. Yeah. Like, it's, it's their angriest album with the most screaming in it, but um, it almost feels like the... The fact that there's there are some fun vibes in there, but the fact that I feel like they their next album they became the band that they were supposed to be. Yeah. So um, even though this is cool and I love Counterfeit, my favorite part about Counterfeit is the Hammond organ. You hear a Hammond organ yeah. play during the the verses, and I'm always like, that is awesome. Why don't more people include that shit? Because I don't know why <laughs> I love the sound of a Hammond organ, but I just do. Um, also, fun fact that actually matches up with 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 you a little bit right now because you're wearing a Faith No More T-shirt. Yeah. Um, oh the, yeah. The, the f- band, the band toured with Faith No More on their album of the year tour at this time. Yeah. And um, as far as I've read, the the Faith No More crowd didn't like Limp Biscuit, but you know whatever. Um, <laughs> Faith No More. Uh, speaking as a big Faith No More fan. Faith No More fans as a collective are hard to please because everybody likes Faith No More for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Um, but yeah, along with the screaming on this album, I, you also hear like faster, the fastest rapping that Fred Durst would do. Yeah. It almost seemed like he was, like I said, he was on those two extremes trying to be the angriest screamy guy but also trying to be the rappiest rapper <laughs> that he could possibly be. <laughs> and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's kind of okay. But overall, like the, the fact that this album lacks that fun vibe um, of the rest of their albums, really, aside from Unquestionable Truth, I just kind of miss it when I hear this. Like this is an album that starts off to me really strong and I like aspects about it a lot, but it doesn't really, I, I want I want to skip over to their next two albums whenever I listen to this one. And also, because of when this album came out, this is 1997 when, like, around this time, all of a sudden, all these new metal bands started popping out. And it almost feels like the the popularity of Faith, like, really kick-started this whole thing where all of these bands were now getting signed up that were, that were doing this new metal sound. And a lot of them sounded really similar to things that are on this album and on Korn albums, obviously, um, you got to give, I mean, really, I feel like Korn is the, they're the godfathers of the genre. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, you know, Limp Biscuit toured with Korn. And so I, obviously there's a little bit of influence rubbing off there, but it's just too much. You know, I, there's, there's a lot, there's like hundreds of other bands that have similar, some of these songs sound like they could be from those bands also. 
But um, and some of them are just not really as interesting because, as you say, they get cornish at times or rage against the machine ish at times and yeah um those bands already existed you know and like and you know rap metal was already a thing because it's you know it was however many years since the first corn album the first rage album was in 92 yeah um and there were other bands that were already doing rap metal like leading up to 97 that were already out there so it was already a thing but i really do feel like this was the one that really kicked open and the floodgates just let out yeah and then you know new metal was was a thing but yeah overall it's a good album it's just not an amazing album when it comes to the limp biscuit discography and so that's why i have it at my number three or no my number two shit my number four god damn it <laughs> my number four did i say three when i said it the first time it's because it's called three dollar bill y'all all right <laughs> And so my number, yeah. So we are we just did our number fours, three dollar cool. bill, and now we're on to our number three. Jesus Christ! Edit all that out. <laughs> <laughs> now we're on to number three. Cool. So this is probably my more controversial pick. So I've got. <laughs> You're I've, just get ready. I've got uh, my number three is results may vary. Yeah, I mean, but to be fair, like, I like it when albums that most people don't like get some love, and so I love that you have it here at number three. I just felt like it might be sacrilege that it's above $3 bill, y'all. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. I mean, you could, if, if you're if you're into that old, the, the OG new metal sound of that particular era, I could see that. But, yeah. you know. But yeah, this is, it's the only record not to feature Wes Borland on guitar. And instead, it's, like you said, Mike Smith was brought in from Snot to help write it. But I let's have a look here. I just want to double check, because I think Fred Durst played some of the guitar on here. He may have, but... Um, <laughs> Shag my friends can... tonight! <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, we gonna talk about that as well that fucking iconic clip of yeah i'm gonna get up on stage and play a guitar solo for this chick in the crowd just strums one fucking chord never mind <laughs> it's, it's so fucking funny and then the, topping it off with the shag my friends tonight <laughs> it's fucking hilarious <laughs> um but yeah let's see this is the part uh, where we look things up on the internet because we're not perfect, folks. I I fucking had it just now. Uh, uh, initially brought in to replace Borland, Mike Smith. Although the band's falling out with Smith later led to his departure with much of the material recorded with him being discarded from the final release. Durst and a number of guests ended up handling... Ah, so Durst yeah. and I think... Was it Head from Corn? Yeah, it was uh, Brian Head Welch. Oh, okay. So he so he did some stuff. Durst did some stuff. I'm assuming they probably had session guitar players maybe come in for things here and there, but or maybe they didn't. I don't know. Fred Durst seemed connected enough that he could call on probably anybody yeah. <laughs> to to be in it. So yeah, um with regard to the album's tracks, this album really is a departure from like cuz there was a pretty big gap between like comparatively speaking with their first three albums because 
there was one in 97, one in 99, and then right after they release another smash hit album with Chocolate Starfish in 2000. Yeah. Then a mm-hmm. three-year gap, and then all of a sudden they come up with Results May Vary, and right out of the gate, it, re-entry, every Limp Biscuit album has an intro, and this is a rather riffy one. And then you get Eat Eat You Alive, and you can really hear some Tool influence in a lot of Limp Biscuit, and this is no exception. Mm-hmm. It's pretty bold for them to open the record for a track that doesn't emphasize the rap side of their sound, because yeah. it's this isn't really a rap metal album. Um, although Gimme the Mic jumps into the rap metal sound that the band were known for, underneath yeah. underneath the gun, which. I'm going to I'm going to include in my shitload of songs called Under the Gun list. It just barely almost scraped by, but I'm including it. Yeah. Um, well, you yeah. know what? They're, we're gonna we're gonna be different in this one. We're not gonna call it Under the Gun like a lot of people have. We're gonna call it Underneath the Gun. Hell yeah, <laughs> Fred. Doesn't that mean the same thing? Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Below said firearm. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. We need to write a song called Below the Firearm. <laughs> um, but yeah, Underneath the Gun, it has a cool Jane's Addiction vibe to it. That's another influence you hear a lot, especially on this album, is like uh, Jane's Addiction, Saigon Kick kind of thing. In, in Okay, I can see that. Like, it, it, there's really open guitar chords and cool psychedelic vocal harmonies, and it really takes me to that late 80s early 90s um really cool time period where everybody was like hey let's play like a really heavy riff but have like major chord harmonies over the top and uh Mm -hmm. i love i love shit like that and there's a lot of it on here so i think that's what bumped this album up for me because i like a good bit of vibe here and there um down another day is a is a quieter vibey one almost over straddles post grunge and rap metal there's quite a post grunge sound to this album um Mm -hmm. build a bridge is full-on post grunge (laughs) red light green light oh snoop dogg is here like hell yeah (laughs) it it's not a crazy good trap it's not a crazy good track but i'm fine with snoop dogg being on fucking anything (laughs) yeah agreed agreed um the only one gives me more Jane's Addiction, Saigon Kick vibes. Always love that. Let me down. I really like the vibey stuff on here. I I feel like I got a hot take. This ain't a horrible album. It ain't as bombastic. As I their I previous. think the, my problem is that the the vibes are cool and the styles that are chosen on some of the tracks are cool. I just think it's the actual songs that mm. that make me not really be into this album. The actual songwriting doesn't have as many memorable moments to, for me. Fair. Yeah, um, Lonely World does the classic Limp Biscuit ballad thing. Um, Phenomenon is back in the rappy new metal zone. Creamer, Radio is Dead, one of their more alt rock focused ones. Uh, Head for the Barricade has a proper Slayer skank beat section in it, which is cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Behind Blue Eyes, like you said, is a cover of the song by The Who. Yeah, I could take it or leave it. Um, yeah. Drown is a melancholy ballad album closer. Like, this album was cool for me. It, it was a departure, sure, but at least they made a bold creative choice 
and yeah. didn't and didn't just make a, a shitty album in the same vein, you know? That's that is a really good point. Because if they had just tried to make a similar album again and failed. Yeah. And failed at it, yeah, it would have been worse. So I, I, I get what you're saying. I I do I really do think this will be an album that I'll it'll I'll end up liking a lot more because it always ends up happening with bands that I really like. The one yeah. album that a lot of people say this is a piece of shit is the one that I usually start giving more attention to. That's the <laughs> you know? thing. Like, like for me, I'm not uh, Saint Anger. It, it, it's no secret that Saint Anger is my least favorite metallic album. It's not an unpopular opinion. <laughs> no, but I will always be down to watch some kind of monster so if that album had to exist for this awesome movie to exist yeah i'm fine with it i i I'm, it's not my least favorite metallica album which you can hear if you listen to our metallica album ranking um saint i actually like saint anger and um i just yeah it is it is what it is but i think it's because of that because everyone's like fuck this album i'm all like hmm I'm going to give this more time because <laughs> I think it's just because I hate it when anybody gets that bit yeah. out of shape about anything, yeah. no matter what it is. Like if it's not, if it's nothing that actually makes a difference, like, I don't know, poverty, yeah, <laughs> you know, and people just like, fuck St. Anger. I'm like, why don't you do take that fucking energy and use it for something yeah. productive. It's just an album. These people can't eat. Why are you upset about my thoughts on a fucking record, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or an entire band, such as Limp Biscuit, where we are now. Cool. So, um, so my number three, um, you've already talked about this album, which means that we're going to, we may match up in our ones and twos, but we'll have to find out. But my number three is Gold Cobra from uh, 2011. Holding the gold, so gold, so golden, y'all. Golden, golden Cobra. Cobra. <laughs> um. To me, like it's the full original lineup of the band. To me, this is a return to form in the in the fact that I find this album utterly enjoyable from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, the attitude and the swagger is back, and they now feel like a band that is comfortable with who they are and what they accomplished that, that made them so massive in the first place. They don't feel like a, they're not running away from anything. Um, they realize like, here, here's who the, here's the band that we are. Let's try to make the best album that we can make. And while it doesn't stack up to what I think are their two best albums, it, it has so much on it that I just find myself grinning and bobbing my head to that. Um, it has to go here. It's just utterly enjoyable. Um, and the thing that I find so fascinating about, well, I mean, I don't know about, about Limp Biscuit now. Cause like I said, John Otto was not with them last night. But at this point in this album, Limp Bizkit could easily be one of those bands where Fred Durst is the only original member and he's still trying to keep it going. Yeah. Because there's a, you see a lot of bands like that where yeah. it's just one <laughs> original member. But for some reason, even in 2011, they the whatever it is that connects those guys together, they yeah. were all there again in 2011. And um, it's got some pretty interesting moments, but I do, but I think that that if you can if you listen to especially their second and third albums all of the songs like they they find interesting ways to change things up there there's very rarely a song where i go this sounds like a song i already heard on this album maybe in three dollar bill it has some of that but um but gold cobra has a lot of that where i feel like they they 
they let the song kind of take them where they want them to go. And, and I think each member is allowed to kind of, I, I don't know what their songwriting process is. I'm assuming a lot of it is Fred Durst, but I feel like if one of the other guys says, I got this idea for this weird thing here, they probably all go, fuck, let's do it. I feel like they're that kind of band. They just say, let's do it. And that's why their songs come across fun and interesting to me. Um, and um, Wes Borland fucking rules on this album as usual. We, we got to give a little bit of love to Wes Borland, but I know we're yeah. going to get there with the next two albums. But he just, <laughs> some of his riffs are super simple, but, and some of them are weird in a really cool way. But like, there's something to be said about writing a riff that is essentially just one note over and over again, but it's played yeah. in a way where you're just like, fuck yeah, I don't give a shit that this is just one note. <laughs> and that says a lot about him as a a riff writer and as a as a a guitar player I guess because I love a good just fucking the kind of riff that you just feel it in your balls kind of yeah. shit you know I I like that <laughs> and he's good at he's, he's good at pulling those out um and also like I like the fact that on Gold Cobra they do sound a little bit more mature, but they definitely, to me, don't sound like old dudes still trying to do this music. Yeah. They, they, it feels pretty natural. And it really always makes me think about, you know, because I'm older, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, mm. my early mid forties now I get 43. I mean, I'm almost mid forties at this point. Um, I always thought that the, it, it seems like most people, think that when you get older, you're supposed to act like the base level emotions of your youth no longer exist. Yeah. And, and that's pretty ridiculous. It's, it's like you're all of a sudden, like you're supposed to be like an adult means that everything is, you, you, there's no extremes anymore. And that's not true. Most people yeah. are just hiding those things. That's why you have people that when something goes wrong on the internet, they come out of a bag and they, or like, you know, like the, the Karen type thing going on out in yeah. the world. Now, the, those, those are legit emotions from those people. I'm not saying that they're in their right mind or good people at all, yeah. but it's a human quality that you still feel these things. And some of us, you know, we'll see if you and I are still friends when you're in your forties and I'm in my sixties, we'll see how this works out for you. But I have a feeling you're going to be like me in the fact that I still need this kind of shit. Like yeah. a lot of, a lot of people will say things like, yeah, I used to listen to metal when I was young. And I'm just like, why would you used to, I don't understand that at all. And I'm going to so, be I'm, like, I'm going to be perfectly honest here. And here's my stance on it. Anyone who says I used to like metal was never truly into metal. Absolutely. I'm, I, I, I applaud you for that one, sir. But it's yeah. just so interesting that the idea that you're supposed to grow out of certain things, because there, sure. there are things that you naturally grow out of. You don't want to play with rattly toys that you played with when you were a baby. That's a natural <laughs> thing. But I feel like, especially once you reach your teenage years, like things that please you in your teenage years are probably always going to please you. Yeah. Unless you're trying too hard to prove that you're a, you're something different. I still watch a lot of Nickelodeon cartoons from when I, from when I was growing up. I still yeah. watch them. Yeah. They, they bring me, they bring me joy. 
And I still, <laughs> I still listen to a lot of the music I listened to when I was young, which is where my whole channel came from. The, the, be, me being the quote unquote old head that I'm still just like, yeah, some of this newer music is cool, but I still want to listen to what was in the eighties and the early nineties. Yeah. And, um, so I think growing out of stuff for the most part is usually bullshit. Um, yeah. and so when I hear an album it's, like gold Cobra, I'm all like, thank, thank you guys for not acting like you've grown out of it. Cause yeah, it still feels good. Yeah. I can definitely appreciate like the attitude of it. It's just like for, for me, the album, I mean, I know I've already kind of said my piece. That's, that's on all it, right. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. It, to, to me, I just like these albums higher up so much more. Oh Yeah. So, so that's, that's my big, that's my big thing with that one. Yeah. yeah. And, and since we're, and since we're on this album, I'm a, I, I want to give a little bit of props to the stampede of the disco elephants, which is an album that now seems like it's not going to happen. Um, but, um, the, the songs that they released after this, cause they got signed to like cash money records, which is like a hip hop label over yeah. here. And they put out a song called ready to go that has Lil Wayne on it. And it is really good. Like I remember when it came out. Yeah. Like that is crank the shit up in your car. It is. They're not even, that's where I'm like, that, like literally that that's one of those songs. I think the riff for the most part, like there's little other little things that West Borland does on top of the riff, but there's a, I think there's, there's a, the riff through the verse is just one note and he does some harmonics yeah. or whatever. And the lyrics are kind of dumb but dumb in like that really fun way. And I'm just like, this is exactly what I want. And it really made me go, oh man, they're going to put out another really cool album. And then they put out like one or two other singles and then everything just went quiet. And um, it looks like we may be getting a new Limp Biscuit album fairly soon because in their recent shows, when they're done playing, they play a new track from the crowd or to the crowd not not yeah. them playing it, but over the speakers. And um, Fred Durst last night said, "This is from our new our next album." And the song they played is called uh, "Dad Vibes," and it's really good. Somebody yeah. somebody took a recording. I guess they were at a show and they just recorded it from the speaker, like right there. And it's a little more hip hoppy. The, the, there's guitars in it, but it's got way more of a hip hop vibe. But I listened to it like three times in a row once I found that somebody had recorded it. And I'm just like, this is great. So I'm fully on board for whatever they have coming. And I don't know. Yeah. The la the, I saw an interview with Wes Borland where he talked about how they, they had all the music already recorded. And he said it's some of the best shit he's ever done. But Fred Durst will, will record lyrics and then hate them and get rid of them and then go back to square one. So right. hopefully they're at a point where he's happy with what's going on. <laughs> and we'll get some new some new Limp Biscuit tunes pretty soon. But right now, as as we are right now in the recording of this episode, Gold Cobra is the last um, Limp Biscuit album, which moves us into our top two. Where I know that we both have the same top two. It just depends on which order are we going to be putting these in. And yeah. so, the, um, if we match up, that'll be beautiful. So let's let I'm gonna throw it over to you for your number two. Okay. So this is a fingers crossed moment. Are okay. we going to match up, or are we going to do this? Do the old switcheroo? My number two is significant other. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> damn. <laughs> I I kind of I kind of knew it was going to happen. 
Yeah, that's all right. It gives us we can do a little a little crossover. You know, we'll we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll two two train tracks crossing over each other in different directions, but but going to the same places, I guess. Really. <laughs> all so right. Yeah, uh, significant other uh, intro. It it has a cool funky. You wanted thing. the worst. You got the worst. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's. It's. Uh, this album. It's kind of like their ride the lightning. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I love that you said th- that because I totally get what you're saying, but other yeah. people listening to this would be like, "What the fuck are you talking yeah. about?" It's their ride the lightning. <laughs> well, it's their second album. They've made a significant jump up in production. Yeah, it. They sound Ter- Terry a lot, date Terry date on production. They sound a lot better. Uh huh. And. They're starting to get confident, but not not taken over the world confident yet. So there's there's still that hunger there, but they also think, ah, we're kind of the shit, huh? So that's the. Kind I guess of- there's a difference between planning to take over the world and currently in the in the process of taking over the world. It's two different yeah. albums, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's just it's just one of those. Uh, catapult sophomore albums that just yeah. go, oh shit, damn! It's like a it's guys, like a Nirvana Nevermind. Yeah, they stepped their game up for it, sure. It, it, culturally, it didn't have the same significance and long lasting reputation that Nevermind has, but it's it was a it was a big deal. <laughs> just wait for it to turn thirty. You'll have a bunch of like ex new metal kids turn around and say fucking thing was bigger than jesus man <laughs> I, I i you know honestly yeah. i hope i really hope that we're in the beginning of a resurgence of people not being yeah. assholes about limb biscuit but who but who knows we just we had another oh, oh okay i'm sorry i'm gonna do i'm gonna derail you again real quick do it um <laughs> so i don't know if you can watch this over there because i don't know if it's if it's worldwide if you have the streaming service but there's a Woodstock 99 documentary that just came out on HBO Max. Oh. Um, and it's part of a series of documentaries, but it's a full length, like almost two hour documentary. And um, on my, I did a live stream like a few weeks ago and I talked about it and I said, you know what? If this it ends up being the kind of movie where they're trying to blame Limp Biscuit, I'm going to come out of a fucking bag. And guess what? They do try to blame Limp Biscuit. And, uh-huh. um, but it is, it is one of the worst documentaries I've ever seen in my entire life. Wow. Not because it's not technically good. Like it's the, the footage they used is interesting. Um, it's shot, you know, all, all the things are edited together very well. It's a very entertaining documentary. But here's, I'll give you an example of why it's total shit. On numerous occasions throughout the entire documentary, they, 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 they repeatedly point out how awful it is that all of these women are showing their tits to everybody. And what do they do in the uh, documentary? They include the footage of every tit they could fucking find. And it's literally uh, yeah. throughout the whole, f- that, so that's the kind of documentary this is. It's so <laughs> awful that these, these women were showing their boobs and they don't even interview these women. They are now just taking old tit footage and making new money <laughs> off of this. These poor girls that at the time, maybe some of them don't give a shit, but some of them are probably like, 
could HBO not put my tits all over the world? And so, <laughs> so that's literally the caliber of documentary you're working with where they, uh, they, 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 they constantly have an agenda and then shit on their own agenda <laughs> while they so, were making the documentary. I was going to say, so were they trying to push some kind of like, uh, women feeling the need to flash at a concert is sexist or something kind of thing? Well, I think, yeah, I think it was just because the whole thing revolves around the, the kind of the American white male attitude at the time with like girls gone wild and stuff and guys expected women to do that, which I understand that's a bad thing. And a lot of the frat guy mindset. Yeah. And a lot of the people in the documentary, like I look at them and go, those are awful people that I would never want to fucking hang out with. (laughs) But then, then they have like interviews with like Moby, and of course Moby is trying to be this guy who's like, I just knew something was wrong at the time, and I'm like, you're <laughs> a piece of shit that was trying to get laid too, Moby. And <laughs> but at one point, the at one point the 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 one of the guys that put on the Lollapalooza, or no, sorry, Woodstock concert, he literally says, I just I just had no idea that Fred Durst would incite a riot, and like, <laughs> even though they're blaming them. Uh, Limp Biscuit played the day before the riots happened, so it's like it's pretty funny to me that like everyone, every documentary you ever see, it's always like everything was kind of weird and not really going very well, and then Limp Biscuit hit the stage. But nobody like you know, and but to be fair, they throw other bands under the bus too. But the it it doesn't help the overall ridiculous attitude towards Limp Biscuit, where I'm like, now we're gonna have this documentary where these guys are all like. They could have made things better. Fred Durst had the whole thing on his shoulders. He could have been the one guy to calm down a hundred thousand people. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, it's a, it. The, it was a documentary where I know my wife was very annoyed with me because I kept pausing it, and I was drinking beers, and I was. I kept pausing it, and looking at me like, "You see what they're doing here? Do you see what the, they're doing?" And it, so I'm sure she was very annoyed, but I did, but I did learn a very important thing about my wife. Um, she is, she has discovered that she is attracted to Fred Durst. And so, oh. um, so I need to get a, a 1999 Fred Durst outfit for her. <laughs> and, um, and I, unfortunately I'm not going to cut my hair or my beard, but I'll, I'll do the backwards red hat and the, the baggy khaki pants and shit like that. I'll do that. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. That was another aside, but <laughs> Um, yeah, so don't, don't watch that documentary or if you do realize that, um, like there are documentaries that are like, there's a difference between having a slant and having an agenda. And, um, it's almost just as bad as like Michael Moore documentaries. You ever watch Michael Moore documentaries like Bowling for Columbine and stuff like that? They're, they're really entertaining documentaries. And I, and yeah, I do, I, I am on his side of things for the most part. But it is really heavy handed and trying to make you feel a certain way. And so um, whenever I see documentaries like that, I'm like, this was great, but I would not recommend this to anybody that's easily, (laughs) easily led in one way or another. Yeah. Because it is, it's all about that. Anyway, I think it was an appropriate time because we're talking about (laughs) significant other. I think even even as much as I love the Metal Evolution series, I think they even did that in the new in the new metal episode. They they did they did everybody's done that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But 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 nobody 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 points out that Insane Clown Posse also played that, and I'm pretty sure they have songs that would incite fucking riots as well. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, they have songs about how magnets. How do they work? You know. (laughs) 
Anyway, that's an um, actual song. Did you know that from Insane Clown Posse? I I need to I need to brush up on my ins, Insane Clown Posse lore. No, you no you don't. <laughs> All you need to do is go to go to go to YouTube and look up Insane Clown Posse Miracles, and it's an entire <laughs> song where they talk about things that they think are miracles, but they're all just easily explained with science. <laughs> like one of the parts he goes, fucking rainbows after it rains. And like, that's supposed to be like <laughs> the best part of the song though is in the middle, in the, in between, in between a chorus and a verse, the, the, the bigger of the two dudes, I don't know his name, but he goes, music is a miracle too. You can't even hold it. It's just there in the air. Um. <laughs> bro that's deep man but at Whoa. one point he literally but literally at one point one of the lyrics is literally them going fucking magnets how do they work like that's one of the one of the lyrics <laughs> so anyway sorry it's, it sounds like that's the thing it sounds like something i would make if i was tasked <laughs> With making like an educational children's show, yeah, and it would just be me in the fucking drum room, just be like fucking magnets, huh? How do they work? <laughs> <laughs> but but honestly, do how do how do they work? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, so I'm sorry that was just just one tangent after another coming out of me, but it's the the vibe of this episode I think lends to it. So let's let's hop let's jump back on to the significant other train here now that here's the thing as well about significant other and chocolate starfish is that honestly you could slap these two together and it would be like a masterpiece double album like uh, yeah i'm with uh, you I, I think so like um if, intro again you get a funky little thing that gives way to just like this and this production is way more like it terry date did a great job yeah, Nook, Nookie is one of those immortal tracks that you can't help but jump around to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Break stuff is hands down my favorite Limp Biscuit song. It's, it's a re- great one. It's relatable as fuck. Sometimes it's the only thing I want to hear if I get stressed or angry. I'm just like, I want to yeah. skin somebody's ass with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's it's my favorite Limp Biscuit video because it has such a fun vibe. Oh. And just yeah. let, having having these fans sing along, and then you got Jonathan Davis and Dr. Dre and Eminem and uh, yeah, all the cameos, uh, Polly Polly Shore. But just the way that it's edited together, it just has such a really fun vibe yeah. to it. And I I I, just, I think it's a great video and a great For song. Sh- I'm with you. Yeah, man. Re- Rearranged is a big melodic spacey rocker. Yeah. I'm broke takes us back to the more aggressive rap metal thing again. I really like mm-hmm. the parts where it opens up like a hip-hop Jane's Addiction. Like, it, those sort of parts are what really make me think, oh, yeah, these guys are good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, nobody likes you? Fuck yeah, what a riff. This, ha- like, I can't remember the last time I listened to an actual Limp Biscuit album all the way through that wasn't for the purpose of this show. Because really, yeah. they're a they're a band that were they were more of a greatest hits band for me. I mm-hmm. knew all of the hits, um, but God damn! So did you? So did you? Did you catch the the guest spots in uh, in Nobody Like You? There's there's two. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Jonathan Davis and uh, Scott Wayland, yeah, are, are both on it, which are 
from Corn and Stone Temple Pilots. It, make, it makes it a really interesting song on the album for me, just because he because the chorus is has got a lot of Scott Weiland on it, and I just yeah. I like it. I like. I mean, he's he's a. We'll, we'll eventually we'll get to doing a Stone Temple Pilots, and oh, we'll talk yeah. about um, how cool of a singer he was. Rest in peace. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, uh, don't go off wandering. Is is a big anthemic one in like a similar vein to Rearranged. Uh, mm-hmm. Nine teen ninety <laughs> nine. Yeah. Spelt nine the number teen the word ninety the number and nine. The word uh, is a quiet verse, heavy chorus track. You know, I was sat here thinking at this point in the album that I definitely heard most of these late 90s and early 2000s new metal albums as a young child. Like I said, my uncle Justin was deep in the new metal thing when it came along. Yeah. End uh, uh, Together Now. Uh, oh, that's a great one. Like oh, guest appearance from Method Man of Wu Tang Clan, and, and DJ this- Premier. DJ Premier did the beat on that, which DJ Premier is a pretty famous um, DJ that worked with, worked with a lot of people. But I mean, yeah, he's pretty he's pretty much he he just made that into a fucking Wu Tang song, really. Yeah, I was gonna say it's pretty much just a, a hip hop song, but I love the psyched out bass riff at the end. Um, I also really like in those videos, I don't know if you noticed this or not, or how many times you've seen those videos, but I, al- I always liked how the video for Rearrange, Rearrange leads into In Together Now, because yeah. in, in Rearrange, they get, dr- they get drowned in milk. They're in like a little <laughs> thing in the milk, you know, and then all of a sudden they're like in this weird white space with like, it's, I guess it's heaven and Wes Borland's all like, are we in heaven? And then Fred Durst says, if, if, we, if this was heaven, I'd be hanging out with Method Man. And then all of a sudden he gets whisked, he like drops down. And then the next video, yeah. he falls from the sky and lands on the couch next to Method Man. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's really clever. I like yeah. that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you get Trust, which is a, gro- <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a groovy fucker with a lovely amount of reverb on that snare in the breakdown. Um no sex is a is a nice romantic one. Uh, <laughs> sh- show me what you got is a bouncy new metal tune. Um, that's the new. That's the new. That's the new American national anthem. I don't know if you saw my post that I did <laughs> weeks back. There's. I gotta give shout out to a to a Facebook page called I did it all for the Limp Biscuit memes, and um, they ha- they post some funny shit. But there, um, the the meme that I posted it has. Two different columns, and in one and in one side it says the Star Spangled Banner, and the other side it says Show Me What You Got by Limp Biscuit, <laughs> and it says I got it right here. So under Star Spangled Banner it says written by Francis Scott Key, who, and then it says <laughs> D- Yeah, I love those. <laughs> and then it says Show Me What You Got by Limp Biscuit, written by Fred Durst, iconic legend. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then it says Star Spangled Banner doesn't even name one single American city. Show me what you got. Names at least two dozen American cities. <laughs> Star Spangled Banner. Stand around. Boring. Show me what you got. Get the fuck up! <laughs> and then Star Spangled Banner came out when slavery was still legal. Show me what you got. Came out in the best year ever, 1999. <laughs> and then my favorite one is the last one. Star Spangled Banner. Peer pressure to take your hat off. Show me what you got. Fred Durst has the coolest hat ever, and he proudly wears it. <laughs> but a funny post note to that post is that I posted it on Instagram, and some dude commented on it and said, um, that's stupid and unpatriotic, unfollowed. 
And I was just like, <laughs> what kind of human being are you that you don't get that that's meant to be funny? Now, oh, now to fuck. be completely honest, I'm not a patriotic dude. So if somebody came to me and said, we're replacing the Star Spangled Banner, I'd be like, it's about fucking time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just thought it was so funny that like that's the, the, the dude had been following me for that long. And finally, like he's had enough. Like, no, <laughs> you're not going to shit on my national anthem with Limp Biscuit. <laughs> anyway i just feel like i just keep derailing this episode but it's just uh, you know nah, it's cool man people like that are endless endless source of entertainment absolutely just pissed off patriots <laughs> yep that that sounds like a fucking beer pissed off patriot <laughs> I'd, pro- I'd probably try that out yeah <laughs> it's, it's got to be a pilsner for sure <laughs> um uh, a, a lesson learned is is a weird vibey one. Mm-hmm. Outro, uh, Limp Biscuits in the house. You ain't shit. <laughs> you know that cool yeah. thing. But and you like get, you get Matt the, Pinfield at the end going off in the yeah in the, the yeah the Matt, the Matt Pinfield rant is is fun too. I like I like um the idea of just like putting a hidden track on the out on an album that's just like a weird little rant from from. Obviously from Matt Pinfield, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, well, yeah, okay. So th- that was that was significant other for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, that's not my number two. My number two is chocolate starfish. I can't do it as good as you. <laughs> In the hot dog flavored water. <laughs> so that was this was their second album. My number two, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water. Um, it came out a year after Significant Other. They were they rode that wave of of doing really well and being really popular. It yeah. went right into the studio and you you could make that argument that it was a it was a rushed album but like i said they they make their best shit i think when they don't overthink it too much when they're just yeah, like just, yeah let this shit come out of us just and go in and just do it yeah in in america it may still be the record holder but i believe that this has the highest first week sales of any rock album ever wow um, really? and i don't think i don't think it's even been beaten since then i mean clearly it won't now because album sales are total shit you know but um i mean it doesn't surprise me like there's like five singles on the album isn't there like yeah it was singles too they they only i think they only really had one single from this that i don't think really made a really big splash but they had you know some big ones on here i mean roland obviously yeah my, my generation and my way and they you know they were they were all really big songs I always thought it was interesting that the song Hot Dog has so many Nine Inch Nails references in it. Yeah. And I and oh. I, it sounds like he's mad at, at Trent Reznor, but, I've, but I read that he was just a big Nine Inch Nails fan, and he just thought it was interesting that Trent Reznor said some shit about Limp Biscuit. So he's just like, I'm going to throw all these Nine Inch Nails references <laughs> into this song with like, how, how, what is it, 46 fucks? If I say fuck just two yeah. more times, that's 46 fucks in this fucked up rhyme. Oh, can, 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 I, can I do it just really quick? Do it. Listen up. Here we go. It's a fucked up world, a fucked up place. Everybody's judged by the fucked up face. Fucked up dreams, fucked up life. A fucked up kid with a fucked up knife. Fucked up moms, fucked up dads. A fucked up cop with a fucked up badge. Fucked up job with fucked up pay. And a fucked up boss is a fucked up... <laughs> it's just so fucking that, fun. That like, is, 
That was awesome. That was, Hell yeah. That was worth the entire episode right there. Like, I almost feel like I just want you to rap all the songs when we get to them. <laughs> I can't this do them is- justice. I, I, I sound goofy as well. I guess you could say he sounds goofy sometimes, but I would really sound goofy. <laughs> I also love as well, like, uh, totally unrelated note, but like those those moments where he'll go from yeah doing this to this <laughs> you yeah know, like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, something awesome. in, something interesting that just i that <laughs> i i've never been able to find a, a, an actual answer to this question yeah. so right after um three dollar bill y'all Somehow Fred Durst became the senior vice president of A&R at Interscope Records. Yo. And, <laughs> and, I, and so he was, the, he was the guy that like brought on like bands like Stained and all that yeah. stuff, you know. But I've always been curious about how the fuck did that happen? And if you go and look <laughs> on his wiki or anything that I've ever read, it doesn't say here's why he became the, the senior vice president. Because I'm just like... That's insane that like you did, you've been in, you've done one album that didn't yeah. really do that well. And they're like, oh, you can, you can be the senior VP of our A&R department. I mean, insane. that's just, that is pretty fucking insane. But anyway, we're still, I'm still on, um, I'm still on chocolate starfish here. So, um, uh, yeah, so they had, they had a lot of big singles. I, I saw a really interesting, I don't know if it was a tweet or some post where uh, somebody was referring to the song My Way and how you could take that song and say that it's about Brexit because it's all <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I'm one more fight about your leadership and I will straight up leave your shit. Your shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know enough about Brexit to know how fucking clever that is of a statement, but it sounds like it's, it's basic enough that you could probably apply it to any number of things. Yeah. They so, just wanted um, blue passports. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, anyway, so yeah, so I agree with you that these, this album and Significant Other, to me, are really close together. It has the same sort of yeah. energy and vibe and fun. I think that just the songs on this album overall, as an entire album, some of them are a little lacking, and and it's basically just in a mathematical kind of way. Like if I was going to go rank all the songs yeah. and how I feel about them, this one would come out a little bit lower. But there's still so many bangers on this fucking album. And, um, and you know, it's got like, it's even got that Take a Look Around song from Mission Impossible 2, which, like, I love yeah. how a lyric from a Limp Biscuit song is so relevant today. The I know you, I know why you want to hate me because hate yeah. is all we've even really seen lately. And I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah. that's like, I mean, I'm assuming that's a lyric that will never be out of fashion. Hopefully yeah. one day it will be because I'm a hippie that way, I guess. But um, <laughs> it certainly just, stuck I, around as as a concept for sure. Yeah, like, and yeah. It, and it only ever seems to sadly get worse. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it seems like it's getting better, and then it gets much worse. So yeah. I don't know. But um, it's also still a very relevant song for for Fred Durst, you know, because people still hate on him for whatever yeah. fucking reason they have. I think. I I think there comes a certain point when you become known as a, as a polarizing figure. That's just that's just it. Like yeah, it, the dude could probably cure cancer and people would still pick on him. You know, I, yeah. I, and it's sad, but well, yeah. like I said, I do feel like it's a very entry level 
opinion that people feel like they're supposed to have. It's kind of like the guy that the guy that just got into metal and he walks up to some older metal dudes and he's like, you guys heard rain and blood. <laughs> you know, he's like, <laughs> so I feel like hating, hating Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit is literally saying that you probably don't really listen to much music and you definitely yeah. don't listen to anything heavy, but yet you're like, I think I'm supposed to say that I don't like this band. So people will take me seriously. I've already covered that earlier on, but let me consult my thrash metal rule book. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so the big thing about chocolate starfish is that when it first came out, I didn't like it anywhere near as much as significant other, but it's really grown on me to where right yeah. now. Like, even though I did say there are some weaker tracks, I don't think there is any bad tracks on this album. And, mm. The difference, the thing that I think is so cool about this album, which I was comparing it to Results May Vary, and I said that Results May Vary is ambition that comes out of feeling lost, whereas Chocolate Starfish is ambition that comes out of being on top of the fucking world and being confident in his fuck. And for a band like Limp Bizkit, that's when they thrive. You know, they, like, because it's almost like, they got to have this weird simultaneous feeling of being like, we're one of the biggest bands right now, but we're also one of the bands that people like to hate on the most. So it's, it's like a weird energy that they get going on on this album. And, and I, that's why I think it's fucking great. So it's, even though it is my number two, it's real, it's real fucking close to a significant other for me. And so that's without further ado, I'm going to put, I'm going to push the ball over to you and let you talk about your your number one. So in terms of like what I come to Limp Biscuit for and the just sheer amount of hits on this album, I was mm-hmm. just thinking to myself, I would be lying to myself if I said it like to be honest, my top one and two can change any day of the week. Yeah. But it just so happens to be that I'm the most familiar with the songs on Chocolate Starfish. And it's just it's just a really fun album. Mm-hmm. Um, like, intro is probably my favorite intro of the lot. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. not a test. And, and like the alien thing opening it up. Mm-hmm. And Hot Dog, does this still hold the record for the most fucks in a song? Oh, I don't know. Did it? Did, was it a record? I have no idea. I don't know if it ever did, but I could totally believe that being the case. Um, that said, I might have drastically underestimated the amount of swearing frontmen <laughs> in the world. Um, we'll just go yeah. ahead and call it the record holder because I like that. Yeah. Um, my generation. What a tune. Yeah. <laughs> Limp biscuit style. Take him to the Matthews Bridge. Just yeah. so fucking good. Uh, um, Full Nelson. That riff, though. Like, this album rules. Yeah. My Way is catchy as hell. Great chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, Roland, Air Raid Vehicle, is truly yeah. a classic of its era. It bangs. I never it's, it's, I, I never don't want to hear it. Yeah. It's it's funny. That another another funny thing I read about that is that in the in the middle section where he says uh 
hey, hey, ladies, hey, fellas, and the people that don't give a fuck. And everyone's like, that was really progressive thinking for him at the time where he's like, there's not just (laughs) ladies and men. There's also people who don't give a fuck with their gender. He was (laughs) he was miles beyond everybody else in the year 2000. Ah, <laughs> oh, dude. And then, but then at the end of it, he lists all these different people, and then he just says, "Everybody all around the world." Lord. And I'm all like, "Wait, you already? You could have just said that." Yeah, <laughs> it's all like it's like my, one of my favorite lines in a. Uh, in uh, the Phantom Menace, the Star Wars movie, yeah, one one of the guys he he, he has to say this. It's su- such a stupidly written line, but he goes, "Red team, blue team, everybody this way." <laughs> and yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> why did you have to say a red team, blue team? Just say everybody <laughs> this way. Like you just don't need to name the two teams if you're just going to tell them all to do the same thing. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> fanta- fantastic dialogue right there. Absolutely, um, living it up. Is is good fun. Um, oh, hold on. Since you're at living it up, I got to do this real quick. <clears throat> this is dedicated to you, Ben Stiller. You yeah. are my favorite motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking good. And there's a little tie-in to, to Ben Stiller at the end yeah, that yeah. We, we'll get to. How can you uh, ever hear the name Ben Stiller without thinking in your head, you are my favorite, favorite motherfucker. motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Watching Meet the Fockers will never be the same again. <laughs> um, so you got the one, which is one of them more open, spacey ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Get Your Groove On, Dirt Road Mix. Much oh. like the last album, they have a full-on hip-hop song. It's a good one, um, too. Yeah. Um, take a Look Around, which takes the Mission Impossible theme and makes their own groovy-ass rap metal song around it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And, you know, also, this is from the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, which also contains Metallica's I Disappear. Also um, a great song. It'll be okay. I forgot to do notes for It'll Be Okay. The it's fuck right. am it, I it, doing here? It's all right. It'll be okay. God. <laughs> <laughs> Saved it. Yes. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's why you, you weren't going to write anything, and you're just like, ah, it'll be okay. I don't have to say anything uh, about this one. <laughs> um. Boiler is the uh, quote-unquote new metal ballad of the album. That was the one single off this one that I don't, at least over here in America, I didn't see the video very much. I don't think it was like super popular. I think that was when the album was yeah. a little bit, was, was slowing down in its sales. I don't know if it was, because I know it they still the, had videos coming out post 9-11 over here. So I think certain things all of a sudden just disappeared from the earth once once 9-11 happened. Well, this is really funny, actually, because, like, um, I mean, not 9-11, fuck. Uh, what I was, <laughs> That's a weird transition. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say there. Um, so here's the release dates for the singles. So you yeah. got Take a Look Around was May 30th, 2000. My Generation and Roland both came out October 10th, 2000. Wow. My Way comes out January 6th, 2001. And then there's a huge gap over to when Boiler comes out in November 20th, 2001. Oh, yeah. That, so that's literally not even two months after September 11th. So I'm pretty sure that that's probably why that song didn't really go very far, because it's like it was probably not the kind of thing anyone was wanting, wanting to hear yeah. <laughs> at that point. It's, it's crazy as well. Have you ever heard uh, about why the Food Network... Uh, achieved such a massive amount of like love in the 2000s 
No. Because pe- people wanted comfort food following 9-11. So 9-11 literally boosted oh. Food Network's ratings. Um, that's in, that's interesting. That makes sense though, because like yeah. that 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 is that is one thing when you when you're feeling shitty, eating some good old comfort food always helps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, you know, to be honest though, when you, when you think about it, this is this is a fun album. Yeah, um, I agree. Hold on is a vibey one. Now, Rolling Urban Assault Vehicle is a hip hop version of the smash hit Rolling, featuring yeah. Redman. Method Man and the late DMX, who unfortunately passed away earlier this year. And if I remember right, also produced by Swiss Beats, who record who produced one of our favorite songs. Yeah, yeah, we did it. It all comes together. Never more the whipping boy. Just when you thought it was over, just when you thought it was done. Yeah, we did it, did it again. <laughs> I still love that song un- unapologetically. We, it's we, really weird, but great. We, <laughs> we need to put together a full-on cover of that song. Like, I'm, I'm on it, board for that. Keep it just as janky and pieced together as the original. Can so I? Do, like, you, you can do the James Hetfield parts. I'll do. I'll do all yeah. the genre parts. <laughs> awesome! I love it. Um, and uh, finally, you get outro, uh, which starts by wrapping up the album with the aliens from the beginning, and then yeah. just a, a bunch of horsing around with Ben Stiller. Yeah. <laughs> where he just <laughs>, laughs for about 10 minutes straight. Well, I mean, he's Fred Durst's favorite motherfucker, so of course he gets some time at the end of the album. Hell yeah. And uh, that wraps up my number one. Awesome. So that, that brings us to my number one, which I, I have to I'm going to have to say something right now because we've we've pretty much crossed over the two hour mark of the of a video about Limp Biscuit, And um, for those of you who are the kind of people that no matter what, you still listen to us. You guys, you guys are the peanut butter platyfoot pusses, peanut butter platter, the chocolate starfish platypuses. <laughs> in the pe- in the peanut flavored water. <laughs> But um, you're still here, and uh, and uh, th- thank you, because we're now on to my number one, which is obviously Significant Other, which is kind of a duh, I guess, album to have at, at number one, but I can't, this is the one that I listen to the most and the one that I think is the strongest with a band just coming into their own, and I just remember seeing the, the Nookie video when it came out and just thinking to myself, Do, is, this, is this great? Or is this really awful? Because, and then, you know, if you, once you just let yourself go, you're like, yeah, it's great. I don't know what the fuck, (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, The interesting thing (laughs) that, that um, I always thought when I first heard it, that the, the chorus was edited, you know, or censored. Cause like, you know, stick it up your, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the real version of the song just says, yeah, it doesn't say ass. And so I've always thought it was interesting that they just went with the, there's the little scratch sample of the guy going, yeah, instead of saying <laughs> ass. But also, what the fuck does the chorus of the song even mean? Like, you can, like, what cookie? Like, what, what's the cookie? <laughs> Did somebody offer him a cookie and that's what he's talking about? Like, there was a girl who was like, you know, look, I had sex with you and I expected you to be my boyfriend and I even gave you a cookie. <laughs> and Fred Nurse is all like, you could take that cookie and stick it up your, yeah. You know? <laughs> It's funny, actually, the first time I heard Nookie was actually a uh, 
it was a parody of it and it was on YouTube and it was from the point of view of Cookie Monster. <laughs> and it was and it, I did I did it all for the cookie. But like the the part that really got me was like came into this world as a Muppet. Look into these eyes. You see that they are googly. Big Bird in his nest. Oscar in his can. Ernie is a guy that lives with another man. Hey. <laughs> it's just so fucking funny. That's yeah. really good. I don't know why. I feel like I've heard that years ago, but it's been a very long time. Oh, it's, it's awesome. I'll have to um, find that right after we've done this and listen okay. to it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, this album is huge and it sounds huge. I mean, it's 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 up there. Chocolate Starfish sounds great too because they're both produced by Terry Date and he did an amazing job at bringing their sound out and making it just fucking huge. Yeah. Um honestly, like if you listen to it, it's those albums have a more lively sound than most new metal cuz you there's reverb on the drums and there's Yeah. It's a more open big sound than you would like if you think new metal you think of everything being super compressed and yeah. and and really dry guitars but it's got like um, a stadium vibe like yeah. it was made to be played in a big arena and good good for them it's a big album yeah. and it has a big sound so it's great um but yeah they i really think that at this point as a band once they figured out who they were they just left so many other bands behind and yeah. um because they were doing shit in a way that other people other bands weren't doing it because they didn't take themselves as seriously um, or hold themselves so, so so tightly to a specific set of rules for their sound. Um, but, I mean, there's this... I feel the same way that you do about Chocolate Starfish with this album, because like just just with Nookie and Break Stuff and Rearranged and In Together Now, like, like big-ass hits just spread out throughout this album. And... Um, I really do think that like I, I this is like the one thing is that like it's I, I I understand how it's easy to like fall in line and hate on some of this music. Yeah. But there's just too many great songs and I just don't I I almost feel sorry for people that can't just let themselves enjoy something, that there has to be some sort of list of rules or some sort of, you know, they're keeping up appearances. Like I gotta I gotta, I gotta make sure that I feel these certain things in order to be taken seriously by other people. And it's just, I mean, it's their lives. They do, they do, do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like even though there's so many hits on this album, um, there are also great songs that weren't even singles. And the fact that you have an album that strong that has those strong ass singles, because, because around this time, late nineties, early two thousands, there were shitloads of albums where the two singles were the only songs even worth listening to on the album and yeah. significant other is not that it's great all the way through. Um, I don't really have a lot more to add from what you said about it because, um, you could actually just take things that you said about chocolate starfish and this and put them all together. And I agree with all of those things. I just think that significant other at this point is a fucking classic album. Like I, I don't know any other way to put it. Like it's, it's a full on classic and, um, so there. So that's my, so that's my number one. My number one is a significant other. And, um, but I really do think between you, you and we can just put our number ones and number twos together. That sounded yeah. kind of gross, but I mean, you put them together <laughs> and, um, I think that we feel kind of similarly about the two albums anyway. But, um, so, I mean, there you have it. That is, that is Limp Biscuit. Uh, fully ranked, and we—I I, I feel like we've given them the kind of attention that they've—they deserve. But also, 
Has anybody talked about Limp Biscuit for over two hours when they weren't just shitting on them a- 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 ever? <laughs> like, are we the first? Because <laughs> I, I would like to hear it if it, if it exists out there, but I really do. Um, I want to be a, a beacon of light for, yeah. for Limp Biscuit. I want to shine, shine on them and be like, look, you know, they're, just because they had a lot of fans in the late 90s and early 2000s who were pieces of shit. I'm not going to argue that fact. Um, but a lot of those pieces of shit have grown up and now they're in positions of power in the United States. So, woo! <laughs> so, um, so whatever. But, um, but yeah, this, this has been fucking fun. If you, if you guys listening out there can't tell, um, I've really enjoyed myself and you can't hear oh, this on too. the podcast, but I have a, I've had a backwards hat on the whole time. And I think that that's <laughs> part of the vibes that have been coming out of me. Like I just, I feel very alive right now. Yeah. For, so. for all of the, um, you know, for all of the late eighties, early nineties, uh, love fests we have on here, we are a new metal positive podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even the stuff I, that I don't like as much, I still, I still will enjoy aspects of it. Yeah, yeah, because I I think new metal is, has has served its time. It's time for it's time for people to give it a little bit more, little bit more love and respect. <laughs> Absolutely, and of course, I I I'm sure that somebody out there listening to this, or a lot of people, are thinking the same thing. Um, we've done this now. When are we going to get around to doing corn? And the uh, the answer is eventually, because I absolutely we're going to do a corn ranking. Yeah. At some point. And they're honestly a band that they have a middle group of albums that I don't know very well. And yeah. I would like to know more about them. Honestly, bands like them and bands like Slipknot, because I'm not a Slipknot fan, but I feel mm-hmm. like I need to give them the attention that they deserve because <laughs> like I may not like it, but they're a very important band. Same thing with Limp Biscuit. I feel like Limp Biscuit is a band that deserves some attention and we gave it to them today. So um so yeah, do you have any any parting thoughts before we wrap this motherfucker up? <laughs> oh, what's what well, I've I really want to do the the outro and uh, outro. Limp. What are we? What are we? Gonna, we uh, something's happening. Something is happening. Is there is there lyrics of it? Oh, oh here it is. Okay. This is HDFW bass to chocolate starfish reading over chocolate starfish reading over your mission universal communication was your mission completed affirmative permission to terminate permission granted bring it on (laughs) (laughs) that really fucking hurt my throat i'm glad i did this at the end (laughs) that was that that's that's very appropriate for the ending of this though i feel like you know we did accomplish that so now we now we can uh, we can terminate ourselves i guess or terminate this episode this episode will now be terminated um and uh, so once again uh peanut butter platypus to those of you who made it all the way through um if you're new to this podcast and you lasted this long, that's a that's a little thing we say to the people that actually make it to the end. And it's a code word that if you're yeah. the kind of person that only skims through to see what we ranked, you probably aren't going to know that. And so you're not one of us. You're not <laughs> one of the peanut butter platypuses. And um, but yeah, that was a, that was a lot of fun talking about Limp Biscuit. Um, so next, if, for those of you who are listening to this now, as it comes out, 
the the next time you see us, you will be seeing us because we are going to be doing a, another episode of the thing that we did called Grooved and Removed. And um, this time it's going to be live on YouTube, live streaming on YouTube, because the problem we ran into last time was we argued with each other about what songs we wanted to remove, but then we had nobody to be there and vote on anything. So there we just no, had to... There was no middle middle guy. No. We need, we need the... We need input. So, uh, input. So that, yeah. So that's why we're, we're, we're counting on all of you out there to tune in. So stay tuned on, on any social medias. You'll probably see a link show up in a few days for the live um, episode on Saturday. The what's the fucking date? Saturday. The, the um, s- fuck. I'm bad with math. Today is the first. The, the seventh. Is it the seventh of Saturday? The seventh. Okay. So on Saturday the 7th at uh, 1 1 p.m. Central or uh, 7 p.m. UK time, uh, we'll be live on YouTube to do Grooved and Removed. And um, should I say what band we're going to do or should we should we save it as a surprise? Uh, I think we can say it because it'll get it can get people psyched up. So we're so last time we picked the we picked five Faith No More albums and removed a track from each one. And this time we're going to be doing the first five Metallica albums which is our joint favorite band. So it's going to be really difficult to choose songs to remove. Um, But the last one was super fun. So uh, this one should be fun as well. So if you're listening to this live or not live, but as it comes out, please join us uh, for that. If not, there'll still be a video of it available on YouTube for you to go watch. Um, But yeah, that's the next time you will see us. And so um, that, that wraps it up for this episode of Cranked and Ranked. Thank you for listening. Um, go and follow Eddie Sparks on YouTube, his channel, and go to his social medias. He's all, he's got all the social medias, as do I, under old head. Um, but that's all I got for this episode. And as usual, I throw it over to my main man, my favorite motherfucker, Mr. Eddie Sparks, to take us out. Peanut butter platypus in the later dude flaming water.